Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. National parks are incredible learning centers. They allow you to better understand the past, learn about poignant moments in our nation's history, better grasp the processes of nature, and at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, allow you to gaze into a bubbling, gurgling, shuddering, and sometimes flaming and fountaining display of molten lava unleashed from Earth's core. This is the beauty of our national park system. All 423 units offer some educational aspect, some tidbit, or in some cases many tidbits, that help us better understand the world around us, how it functions, how we interact with it, and what we can learn from our visits. These places are more than just background vistas for selfies. They are the grist that brings to life chapters from our history books that need no animation to depict wolves on the hunt or sea turtles coming ashore to lay their eggs, that explain in full color in historic and replica buildings the nation's fight for independence, its civil war, its battle for civil rights. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. Enter the national park system, and you won't come away disappointed when you realize all that awaits you. At Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, for instance, it's impossible not to be awed by the volcanism that created the Hawaiian Islands, and which is on full display at the crater atop the Kilauea Volcano. Really, when you think about it, there are few places on Earth where you can safely gaze upon the planet's molten core as it seeps and bursts in spectacular, glowingly red fountains of liquid rock coming up through the crust. Now, if the volcano that is at the heart of Mount Rainier National Park in Washington State ever comes back to life, well, it likely would be with explosive eruptions and violent pyroclastic flows that incinerate everything in their path, or lahars, a thick, watery blend of rocks and mud that could pose a threat to communities down below the national park. The Kilauea Volcano at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, however, arguably is one of the world's tamest volcanoes. Its eruptions generally are not the explosive type with incinerating pyroclastic flows. Rather, this shield volcano most often pushes its molten rock up through cracks in the earth. As a result, gazing into the crater atop Kilauea is the main attraction for many drawn to this national park. It's an active volcano you can pretty much walk right up to most days to glance into its fiery maw when it's erupting. Now, of course, back in 2018, Kilauea was both fanciful and destructive as the volcano erupted for nearly four months. Beginning in May of that year and continuing into August, the park's landscape was fractured in places by earthquakes, vegetation was burned to a char, and buildings were both swallowed by lava flows or all but lost due to seismic damage. Nearly 13 square miles of the island were covered by fresh lava flows, which also forced thousands to evacuate their homes. More than 700 homes were destroyed by streaming flows that made for dramatic nightly news imagery. After many months of quiet, the volcano resumed eruptions from December 2020 into May of 2021 before going quiet again. But this past September, the volcano came back to life, but not with the same vigor or destructiveness of the 2018 eruptions. In early November, I was able to visit the park with my wife, along with one of our sons and his wife. One morning, we caught up with Jessica Farrakane, the park's public relations specialist, 
whose broad knowledge of the park and its two volcanoes and enthusiasm in discussing all things Hawaii Volcanoes National Park quickly came across. From the back porch of the Volcano House Hotel, across from the Kilauea Crater, she gave us an overview of Kilauea and its recent volcanic behavior. So, good morning. You are on the edge of Kilauea Volcano right here. This is behind the Volcano House Hotel. And what you're looking at is Kaluapele, which is the giant encompassing crater of Kilauea Volcano, the summit of Kilauea Volcano that you're looking at. And then over here in the distance, you see the sloping shield volcano of Mauna Loa. And so right now you are in the proximity and or on two of the most active volcanoes in the world. Only one's erupting and that's Kilauea. Mauna Loa last erupted in 1984 and um, has not erupted since then. But Kilauea is erupting now and it's hard to tell kind of this morning. You see that little waft of smoke and gas and ash coming out of the volcano there? That's where the eruption is. And that started on September 29th. And what that's doing right now, it's filling a lava lake. And that lava lake, is it about 150 acres right now? Oh yeah. About 150 acres. Um, Just for a little perspective, when we had active lava here at the summit from 2008 to 2018, We had a lava lake also. That one was the world's largest lava lake. It was 10 acres. So this is already 15 times the size. And that's pretty spectacular. Um, You're not able to see the activity really from here except for the gases. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna get in our cars and we're gonna drive to the Devastation Trail parking lot. And then we're gonna hike out on the old Crater Rim Drive, a little bit before that big yellow sulfur bank you can see and we'll have a better view right into the lava lake. And we might get lucky and see some fountaining happening in the distance too, so that should be pretty cool. Um, It looked fantastic. I was up at five and it looked fantastic on the USGS webcams this morning. So that's usually my morning routine is make the coffee, look at the USGS webcams and get to work. So uh, hopefully we'll, good job. Jessica, Um, well, I'm curious, back in 2018 when you had the really big eruptions. Yeah. I mean, how high up had the, the lava lake or lava The come? lava came up so high you could see it from Jagger, but this looked a lot different in 2018 than it does right now. So I'll tell you a little bit, that's what I was getting ready to go into. See this area in the foreground, the lava, where it's much higher than the deep depression out there? Before the 2018 summit collapse, that went almost all the way across. There was only about a, a very small area that there was a crater visible. So all of that, like, that's all from the summit collapse right there. All that deep, dark chasms that you see in the different areas, um, the flat drop-down block over there. Do you see where there's um, kind of a slab mid-crater wall that goes like this? That's Crater Rim Drive. Crater Rim Drive in the parking lot and an overlook all fell and collapsed into the crater in 2018. And so what had happened to get that whole party started was Pu'u'o'o vent. Back until then, we had two eruptions happening at the same time. We had Pu'u'o'o been nonstop since 1984. It's a vent on Kilauea out in the East Rift. Been flowed lava into the ocean, did all kinds of spectacular behavior during that 30 plus years of activity. Then in 2008, we also had the summit started to erupt again. So between 2008 and 2018, we had two eruptions at the same time. It was really neat. They shared the same plumbing system of magma feeding both spots. 
and it was pretty spectacular. And then Pu'u'u'u pretty much collapsed. There were some earthquakes that happened and that lava started to drain out and go into the lower East Rift zone, started to threaten um, homes there. And this system was also impacted and this also dropped. So when that magma left the summit here, it just dropped it. It wasn't it wasn't supporting the summit anymore. And so that's what you're seeing out here is this giant gaping chasm now and all of these faults along it, those are all new. Um, for someone like even Thea and other people who've been here since before 2018 it's, or who've ever even been to the park, it's, it's a different park. It's completely remodeled. It is nothing like it was up here at the summit area. Um, that big yellow sulfur bank kind of across the way, before 2018, you could see a little lip of it, um, of the sulfur deposits. That was from a vent, I think USGS said sometime in the 1800s. That all fell, and so now we have like this two, 300 foot almost wall of sulfur across from us. So just a lot of dramatic changes. And to me, the most astonishing one, I guess, is to see that road in the crater. So I kind of call it in, in the crater rim drive now instead of just crater rim drive. But when we go over to the Kaunakakoi side, you'll be able to see the yellow stripe on it. So it's kind of one of those fun things to zoom in on and be like, what? <laughs> so, um, and in that area, um, you see the building across from us? That's the former, <laughs> the artist formerly known as the Jagger Museum and the USGS Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. And so those facilities will, were built very close to the cliff edge. And that was really a really close view of Hale Ma'omao Crater. So many times um, since about 2015 or so, but especially in 2018, that lava level rose where you could see it, you know, the whole surface of the 10 acre lava lake that was great viewing. But when the summit collapsed and there was, you know, 60,000 recorded earthquakes between May and August of 2018, um, that rendered it extremely unstable. The ground is fractured around it. There was some damage to the buildings, but it's really the ground that prevents them from being reopened again. And that's one of the big things the park uh, management is involved in right now is we'll be going out to the public pretty soon to talk about the um, proposed alternatives for where we're going to replace Jagger Museum and where we want, you know, us and USGS would like to see um, the USGS Hawaiian Volcano Observatory headquarters be and lots of great ideas on the table and we're looking forward to working with the public on, on and hearing what they think too about some of this so yeah no yes you should know him but probably most people don't and they often spell his name like Mick, Mick Jagger with the E it's a it's one of those things as a <laughs> park person you're like <laughs> um, Thomas Jagger was the founder of the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory yeah so more than a hundred years ago that's who it's named after he is basically the godfather of, of volcanology modern volcanology yeah and Kilauea, Mauna Loa are the two, you know, pretty much the most studied volcanoes in the world. They're shield volcanoes. Um, you guys aren't going to be in danger today, I don't think. <laughs> the The biggest threats, I think, um, could be, you know, seismic activity could happen. Um, but out there, we're kind of in the open area. And then also the gases. We have light winds. You can see the, the kind of um, smoggy-like layer towards the south there. Um, get a little bit of trades today I think but it could I have an SO2 meter on me so if it gets to some kind of bad level beep, 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 we'll just leave the area but those are the biggest threats besides slips trips and falls and of course driving 
this is a very sacred landscape to Native Hawaiians. This is probably one of the most, or you know, one of the top significant landscapes, and that is because of the presence of Pele Honuamea, who is the Hawaiian volcano deity. Um, Pele is not from here; she's from the South Islands, and but she came up here to find her home. She'd kind of been booted out for bad behavior, and so she came north with some of her other family members, including her shark god brother, and they came up, and she started on the northern island, started digging pits to find a home, and. For various reasons, those pits were extinguished either by sisters or other other deities that didn't want her there. And she found her home here at Halima'uma'o, and that is where she has settled. And so um, for Hawaiian people, and I'm not Hawaiian, and I don't want to speak on their behalf, but I've lived here a long time. I know a lot of Hawaiian people. This is one of the most sacred areas. So um, it's special. And it also, to to manage a sacred area, is, it, it makes it complex for management. You know, there's there's issues that you, you have to grapple with here. For instance, air tours. Um, we are going out um, for public scoping probably in January on our potential alternatives for an air tour management plan over the park. This park has more flights um, than any other national park besides the Grand Canyon. And, um, you know, that has an impact not just on visitor enjoyment, but cultural experiences, sacred landscapes, and that kind of thing. So. Listener and reader support make National Parks Traveler possible every day of the year. If you enjoy the Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio it is an environmental learning center, training center, conference center, and leadership center, all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. See their successes at gtnpf.org. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. That's P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. A short drive from the visitor center brought us to the Devastation Trail, 
a mile-long route that follows part of the old Crater Rim Drive before veering off across the volcanic landscape. So Jessica, you said this was a, a shield volcano? Yes, you're on a shield volcano, which is having an eruption in its summit crater. And why is it safe for us to be standing here looking down into the eruption, basically? So we are about a mile away, and we are away from the leading edge of the caldera rim. So this area has a lot of seismicity. Earthquake levels have actually dropped off since this eruption started. Um, they were very elevated in the hours before the eruption started, um, but they've really, they've really dropped off and keeping people awake, far enough away from the cliff edge, um, this is one of the safer vantage points you can get. And this is the closest you can get to this eruption right now, which is probably about three quarters of a mile away as the crow flies. And what you're seeing is a big lava lake, and that's that black flat expanse. It almost looks like black tar out there on the crater floor. Um, you can see some incandescence, incandescence on the lava lake surface, the red-orange kind of peeking through the surface of the lava lake. And then you see this dome forming in that western vent yeah, and the fountaining coming up. So that's what's feeding the lava lake right now. That's the only active part of the lava lake, and that's where the majority of the action is. And um, you can see the lava fountains. As we stood there gazing into the crater, lava fountains occasionally spouted from the lava lake, going up perhaps 20 feet or so, which is really pretty small when you realize that lava fountains from the Kilauea Iki eruption back in 1959 soared about 1,900 feet into the sky. Um, but it, the lava is forming a little cinder cone around where it's been shooting out, much like Pu'u'o'o did back in 83, much like um, Pu'upua'i, which is behind us, the one that formed part of this, you know, rained the cinder down on Devastation Trail. You can see how they form a dome. Yeah. That's what Daddy wanted to see last night when it was like that, because in the dark time you could see it really good. One of the uncle Wow, that's beautiful. As impressive as the eruption from Kilauea is, day or night, the volcano's crater is little more than a small bump on the much larger Mauna Loa volcano that towers over it. Mauna Loa, which the USGS says is the world's largest active volcano, has more mass than the entire Cascade Range in the Pacific Northwest. Now, as you were saying, you know, in the background there, we've got Mauna Loa and, mm -hmm. and Kilauea here that we're standing on, two of the most uh, dangerous, I guess, volcanoes they've been described as. Any concern that uh, Mauna Loa might uh, join Kilauea in activity? Um, Mauna Loa and Kilauea may be the most dangerous volcanoes in the U.S. They're certainly not globally because the, the nature of their, the, their shape and, and what, the, what they are are shield volcanoes. Um, Mauna Loa, yes, there is always, I mean, these are the two most studied volcanoes on Earth. So we have a cadre of scientists at USGS and other agencies that are monitoring them constantly. When Mauna Loa erupts, 
it'll be a game changer again for the island, depending on how long the eruption lasts. You know, it's a much steeper, taller volcano. So if an eruption is up at the summit near the summit area or the rift zones on either side of the summit, they're going to pour down that mountain really fast, a lot faster than a Kilauea eruption, which is a shorter, wider volcano. Um, not wider, but um, a little bit, uh, not as massive a volcano, not quite the height. Uh, so yeah, Mauna Loa, you know, if they reach the ocean and some eruptions in the past, the summit eruption from Mauna Loa has reached the coast in a matter of days, cutting off roads, ruining infrastructure, etc. So, um, you know, it, it's, we expect Mauna Loa to erupt again. We're prepared for Mauna Loa to erupt again. Not sure if we want Mauna Loa to erupt again. Are they the same plumbing system, so to speak? They are, yeah. Everything's being fed by the hot spot uh, beneath us. Um, and what's interesting right now is that we have an eruption happening on Kilauea. And we get questions a lot from our visitors and from other folks. Um, does that mean Mauna Loa won't erupt? No. We've had periods where Mauna Loa and Kilauea have both been um, erupting simultaneously. Um, the last time was 1984. If you manage to make your way to Hawaii Volcanoes National Park and to the Kilauea Volcano, you're likely to hear about Pele or read about Pele during your visit. Pele, of course, is the goddess of Hawaii's volcanoes, also said to be the creator of the island's volcanoes. She is, as the National Park Service says, embodied by the lava and natural forces associated with volcanic eruptions. The lava itself, uh, there's many things here that are Pele are Pele herself, the element of Pele. And the lava, the, especially the molten red lava, uh -huh. that is her. That is her, her, Kanaloa is the word? Kanaloa. her physical manifestation is the red lava. If we didn't see red lava, but we saw steam and smoke, you know, steam and gases coming out, that is still also Pele, but that's not her, that's her breath. That's not her body form. The lava itself is the body form. So that's, you know, for instance, we when there are surface flows, we urge visitors don't poke the lava because for many Native Hawaiians, that's desecrating their deity. That's a sign of horrible disrespect. So it's just to be in this area where culture is, is equally important as the science. And a lot of the culture explained the science part of it in their own terms. You know, they talk about... Pele and her sister Hi'iaka having these atrocious battles, jealous battles, and um, they're fascinating to read. And if you, um, one of the scientists from USGS, Don Swanson, documented these flows that were happening in the late 1400s, uh, the Isla Owl volcanic eruptions, and how they tore through the forest and destroyed it. And to Hoynes, that was Pele and her sister, the goddess of the forest, fighting. And that was a really descriptive way of describing the geologic phenomenon happening around them. And um, there was, you know, science to it, even though they had a different way of explaining it. Standing on the crater's rim, either here on the eastern side, reached by the Devastation Trail, or from the outlooks near the Jagger Museum on the western side, you can take in not only the molten fountains of rock, the steam, and the shimmering red pools of lava peeking through the lava lake's surface. But, if you are observant, some of the subtler aspects of eruptions and what they create come into view. See the surface of the lava lake and how glassy it's looking now? That's another thing. There's so much glass content in, um, in volcanoes. And it's, it's coming out. So when those 
those um, the lava and the gas bubbles are being carried by the air. It's being that lava is being stretched out by the wind into these long, thin filament shards called Pele's hair. And that's if you breathe that in, that's like breathing in glass. So you want to not anyway. great. Yeah, not great. Later during our stay, my wife and I headed back out to the crater's rim after dark to marvel at the fountains of molten rock against the darkness of the night. It's definitely something to experience if you have the time during your visit and the volcano is erupting. But there's much more to see at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park than just Kilauea's crater. Not far away is the crater of Kilauea Iki, the hardened remains of a spectacular eruption that started in mid-November of 1959 and ran until December 20th of that year. Though it was short-lived, the eruption produced what the U.S. Geological Survey describes as some of Kilauea's most spectacular lava fountains of the 20th century. Some of those fountains, as I mentioned above, rose an estimated 1,900 feet into the sky. It must have been an amazing eruption to see, as at one point lava cascaded down through the steep forested slopes ringing the evolving crater. Today, a footpath leads you down through the rainforest and out onto the hardened crater floor. More craters reflecting Kilauea's past volcanic activity can be found along the chain of craters road. This nearly 19-mile-long road traverses areas where lava flows once coursed across the landscape. The road also runs through an area that long ago was home to several villages and temples. One temple was even used for human sacrifices for nearly five centuries, according to the National Park Service. Unfortunately, a lava flow in the late 1990s buried the temple ruins under the lava. Drive towards the end of the road, and you can stop at one petroglyph site that remains today. The Pua'aloa petroglyphs number in the thousands. This site protects the largest collection of petroglyphs in Hawaii. A mile and a half hike takes you out to a boardwalk that circles many of the petroglyphs at a site that is considered sacred by many native Hawaiians today. The Chain of Craters Road also leads to the coast, where you can take a short hike to see a sea arch, which eventually will be reclaimed by the ocean. Just a bit north of the Kilauea Crater and off Highway 11 is the Mauna Loa Road, an 11-mile-long, dead-end road that weaves up the southern flanks of Mauna Loa. The road, which seems to narrow as you go, passes a birding area as well as tree molds, interesting molds created by lava flowing around trees and hardening before the trees burn down. At the road's end, there's an area where endangered silver swords grow, a small observation hut, and the trailhead for the Mauna Loa Trail that you can follow for a few days all the way to the Mauna Loa Cabin at an elevation of 13,250 feet. Now, many would argue that the true character of the park is best discovered on foot. There are about 150 miles of trails in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, and most are well-maintained and easy to follow. As the park superintendent told me back in 2018, at the end of Kilauea's violent eruptions that year, it is an active volcano, and so we've always had to adapt and be flexible in terms of how we manage that resource in terms of visitation. And that remains good advice today for visitors to the park. You must be flexible with your plans if Kilauea is erupting. And you need to appreciate how large this national park is and the road time that you'll find yourself spending if you visit the crater, drive the chain of craters road, go in search of sea turtles on the beach, or head up the Mauna Loa Road. Getting around the park to the northern side of Mauna Loa or over to the Kahuka unit adds even more time to your stay. 
Indeed, our week-long visit proved much too short, which means another trip to the islands remains on my to-do list. If you're thinking of heading there, plan to fly into Hilo on the eastern side of the Big Island. It's much closer to the national park than Kona is on the western side of the island. While you're considering a visit to Hawaii Volcanoes, please also consider a donation to the National Parks Traveler. The biggest fundraiser we've ever launched runs through the end of this year, and your support is needed to enable the traveler to move to the next level in terms of editorially independent coverage of national parks and protected areas. We're off to a good start thanks to many readers and listeners, but still have a way to go to reach our $100,000 goal. Those funds will enable us to develop a dedicated, geographically dispersed, small team of writers and photographers to cover the park system. We'll also produce more investigative reports on how parks are being managed and offer you more regular in-depth analysis of park issues, as well as provide insights to help you make the most of your national park adventures. We need your support. That's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. For The Traveler from Hawaii Volcanoes National Park, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference too at friendsofacadia.org. From now through December 31st, 2021, Interior Federal Credit Union is offering auto loans with rates as low as 1.99% APR. If you aren't already a member, apply at interiorfcu.org. Get ready for the holidays and take advantage of the year-end car deals. Use their car buying services to help find the best deal out there and start saving today. Interior Federal Credit Union, the official credit union for the Department of the Interior and your natural resource for financial services. Nova Scotia, 8,000 miles of coastline dotted with colorful fishing villages, quaint coastal towns, and an abundance of scenic natural beauty. Home to two national parks, Cape Breton Highlands and Kajimakujik. Spend your nights under a canopy of twinkling stars. Spend your days exploring trails, beaches, historical waterways, and tons of cultural and recreational experiences. Visit NovaScotia.com today to start planning your natural getaway. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Park's Travelers podcasts. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Park's Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. 
National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.